Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure I have special guest Russell Sturgis on the show today. Mr. Sturgis is the author of The Spiritual Roots of the Tarot, The Cathar Code Hidden in the Cards, a new book that recently was released. He's practiced as a complementary health professional since the mid-1970s, developing his unique approach to osteopathic massage, peace-centered healing, and mindfulness practice. Sturgis has personally trained over a thousand students throughout the United States, New Zealand, and Australia. He lives in Maruchador, Queensland, Australia, and it's a great pleasure that I welcome Mr. Sturgis to the show. Welcome to the show, Mr. Sturgis. Thanks, Jason. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you here. I, I know you're currently over in Australia, and I was telling you off the record um, before we started recording just how much I admire Australia. I got a chance to go there in 2011, so... Uh, first question I want to ask you before we even start, how are you guys doing down there with COVID and everything? I know we feel like we're parceled out in different areas of the world right now because of quarantines and lockdowns. And- we, uh, look, I'd say we would have to be one of the uh, luckiest nations on the planet at the moment because we just about have total freedom in terms of what's going on. We have some, um, in Australia, each state is an autonomy. And so the way in which they manage state to state, but In our state alone, we've only had six deaths from COVID and and basically all, you know, the the Queensland is the northeastern state of Australia and we can travel freely anywhere. We are encouraging people to wear them, but but it's not not mandatory. Um, and, And our borders open and close between the other states, depending on whether there's been an outbreak. But right now we're... Your audio is cutting a little bit. Just a little bit. I want to make sure I can hear when you when you say something so our audience can hear you. But that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, okay. The ver- uh, virus, you know, the one that's come out of England, uh, which is really rampant, they're, they're really making sure they're on top of that at the moment and stopping it. But, but right at the moment, I think most of the states in Queensland this last week haven't had any new cases other than people who have returned back to Australia who are in isolation. 
So we're in a very, very gracious place in I'm Australia so right now. I'm so happy to hear that. I live in Florida, and sure, we have unvettered access because there's no restrictions at all, but the virus, I'd say there are more than we need to worry about, and there's millions of people that are unfortunately, I mean, you see the news out of the United States. So we, we, I appreciate that you guys are, are safe, and it sounds like things are starting to get back to a certain realm of normalcy. I, I don't think we'll see a realm of normalcy probably for a few years, but um, I just wanted to start out and ask you, since you're down in Australia, I wanted to, just out of curiosity, getting into your work, spiritual roots of the tarot. As a psychic medium, I read energy. I pick up on deceased loved ones, but I also do intuitive stuff and, and, and do my own thing. I want to ask you, how did you become motivated to write the spiritual roots of the tarot? Well, I uh, went through quite a, uh, when I, my dad died when I was 29 and um, I had a series of dreams where he came to me um, after he had died and he taught me about principles of universal love that I um, hadn't heard before. I'd, I'd been raised in a religion that um, had a slightly different slant on that. And, um, and so uh, um, the last dream that I ended up having with him, he said to me, this is the last dream. You know, is there anything you want to know? Because I won't be coming back. And I said, well, you've taught me all this new stuff about new, new understanding about love. How does that fit into what we've had in the past? And he said, well, it's easier for me to show you. And with that, he took his hands and he just drew this really large circle. And it just became brilliant light that made everything translucent. And he said, this is truth. And then he took his hand and drew a little circle and he said, that's the, the church or the teaching around love that you were raised with. And it's only a tiny part of a much bigger truth. And he said, my, my, my suggestion to you is to go in, in search of the bigger truth. That led me to, um, through a series of coincidences, to, to end up studying with Jerry Jampolsky in Tiburon in California at the Center for Attitudinal Studies. And um, it, it turned out I'd been given a copy of one of his books called Teach Only Love just a few months after my dreams. And everything that my father had explained to me was in this book of Jerry Jampolsky's. And it was sort of like I was meant to pick up this book. And just a few months later, Jerry was in Brisbane in Australia, a seminar not far from where I lived. And so I got a chance to go to that and I met him and ended up getting the opportunity to um, go to the States. And, you know, I, I, I've just got to throw this in. I, I had a young family. I had a mortgage, a new business. I just didn't have spare cash to be flying to America to go and do this. And this letter turns up in the post congratulations, you've won an all-expenses-paid trip to the United States. And my wife had sent in a um, muffins, English muffins competition, and we'd won it. And, you know, and when you're on, when you're on course... That's absolutely. the universe, and you need to pursue this. Go right ahead. Here's your ticket. <laughs> Here's your ticket. That's phenomenal. And so I went and studied with Jerry, and I found out about another lady in, in uh, Washington, D.C., a lady by the name of Susan Trout. Um, who also was running a Centre for Attitudinal Studies over there. Um, and I studied with her as well. 
And she really introduced me to symbolism in a really significant way. And um, and during the course of my study of symbolism, I came across a book called Jung and Tarot and by Sally Nichol. And I was reading that and it just inspired and lit up all the knowledge that I had. And it was sort of like, um, and it was really funny because what happened was I'd learned about um, doing um, um, mandalas, drawing mandalas as part of my tra- training with Susan. And um, I had this, once again, dreams are significant. You, you would relate to this, but I had this dream where um, I was chasing a snake and it was like one of these, you know, like in the movie Anaconda, one of these massive snakes and I cornered it, but I couldn't kill it. And then the dream flipped and the snake was chasing me and the snake cornered me and couldn't kill me. And it was sort of like, you know, when I started to really grasp the sense of, of the images of snakes, it was like, hang on a second. Next thing, you know, the 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 orbis and the the orbis and 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 the the the, the lemniscate of the snake image just started to permeate my thinking and my mandalas, and and next thing, the tarot card started to fall into place, and this just filled my head, and um, um, and I just felt that I needed to do something about it, and. Uh, I go on impulses, obviously, and I had this strong sense that I I needed to go somewhere and spend some time writing. So I quit my life and um, I ended up going to Italy and I lived in Italy for nearly a year in a mountain village while I researched and wrote the first um, research around this book. And I actually self-published a book um, back in 2009. And then this is sort of the, the latest version of it with a lot more knowledge and understanding and 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 so that's how the spiritual roots of the tarot came about yeah what's your understanding of the tarot i i will tell you i was a little kid my mom had a tarot card deck she never used it it was in its original plastic wrap for many years it was just something somebody might have given her she picked it up for curiosity never opened it so far the tarot has always been like a foreign thing to me even though i do my own spiritual stuff what's your what's your understanding because i know you don't practice with the tarot either so both you and i are talking about this topic and <laughs> For us both, I'm not a practitioner of the tarot, so I would no. ask you what's your what's your what's your understanding just for, as a layperson. Well, so look, you know, I was I was raised in a in a church where the tarot was the book of the devil. You know, you had nothing to do with it. And once again, it was interesting. I was in Boston speaking at a conference, so um, as a result of my going over and studying, I had an opportunity to share um, with um, people in the health industry the work that I was doing and. All of a sudden, I got invitations to lecture or extensively. I've spent a, quite a lot of time in Tampa lecturing oh, at the Massage College in Tampa and St. Pete and Miami and Tallahassee. I've sort of lectured all over the states um, in, in the health industry. And um, um, I was in Boston and I was going through a, a, a game shop to buy Christmas presents because it was Christmas, just before Christmas. And I was speaking at a conference there and, and I walked past this counter that had tarot cards in it and this voice said to me buy that pack of tarot cards <laughs> and it's sort of like hell no I'm not buying tarot cards <laughs> you know even though I was sort of starting to entertain this I still hadn't really absorbed this whole, I was reading it in books but I, I you know having tarot cards anyway I walked away and this this voice said go back and buy those cards and it turned out that they were a um a 18th century version of the Marseille tarot 
And so one of the things that's significant about tarot is that we have sort of more modern versions of it. And the Rider Waite tarot is the one that sort of became really popular. And it's the one that most people use because every card has easily rich symbolism to, to reference. Whereas the Marseille tarot, you've got um you've got the 22 picture cards and the rest of them are just like a normal set of playing cards and have very little imagery in them. And so people find them really hard to deal with. So what we see is the tarot cards being used for esoteric purposes. So doing divining and, and those types of things, that stuff didn't really start to emerge until the end of the 17th century. So but the, the tarot cards were formed much earlier. We see this tarot cards coming together a couple of hundred years before that in northern Italy, um, and, and, and they were used as playing cards. In fact, they were involved in playing cards. But what the thesis of my book is, is that, in fact, um, the 22 picture cards were, were essentially portable stained glass windows for a Gnostic Christian church um, that was being eliminated by the Catholic Church, who were the Cathars. And um, the, the, they, they were called the good men and women or the good Christians, and, and they were renowned because of their love consciousness <clears throat> and that they were peace-bearing people, you know, and, and the nobles, um, just ordinary people loved these people, and it was frightening the church. Now I'm sort of simplifying this, but but this is this is in essence what happened. 1209, a, a um, crusade was commissioned against them, which became known as the Albigensian Crusade because it started in Albi, in in Provence in southern France, um, and then it went on for 20 years. They couldn't sustain it. Then they started the Inquisition, and records would suggest that somewhere around about 1350 was when we see the last Cathar in uh, Lombardy in Italy. So in other words, they'd wiped them out of southern France successfully and who was left over and sort of moved across. And so the whole essence of my book explores the Visconti, who were the rulers of Milan at the time, and how they basically harboured and, 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 and provided protection for the, the Cathar. As they were being wiped out, my theory is, is that um, probably after they were eliminated, their messages were then taken from manuscripts is what they would have had. We know that they were avid book collectors. Books were important to them that they would have taken these images out of manuscripts and transposed them into the playing cards that had come into Western Europe and had just exploded. You know, within six months, these things were just everywhere. It was, it was quite amazing. Within 12 months, they were sort of being sort of deemed to be satanic and you shouldn't have anything to do with cards. And, but they were primarily all for carrying art. And and so I explore the whole notion that, that their whole theology of love was captured in these 22 images well love is universal and we've we talked about that a little off off before we started you mentioned the 22 cards the major cards being yeah. those for the gnostic church and i wanted to see if you could just explain that a little further because that kind of that kind of resonated with me i was curious about that well so if you go into the cathedrals in france um and you walk around them they've got um, not just stained glass windows, but they, you know, you know, you go into um, um, the cathedral in Siena, and here's these amazing columns 
that are painted sort of black and white. They're not black and white, but, but, but they're sort of this black and this sort of grey colour, but they've got different sized bands and they all mean things. All of this stuff means something. It, it's got significance. Um, the, the rose windows um, at the end of the cathedrals, you know, have significance. And so... Um, the the Cathar didn't have churches. They met in homes and they met in fields. So they didn't, and, and people were illiterate. I mean, as much as the perfecti who would have been their priests um, were intelligentsia and, and were readers, a lot of their followers weren't. They're what were called believers and their listeners may not have had that same level of, of capacity to read. And so um, essentially stained glass windows were medieval comic books. They were fantastic because they were communicating to people in a really simple language. And so these cards basically um, were taking their manuscripts, which would have been their portable stained glass windows, um, and, and, and creating, um, and, and effectively what they were doing was they were hiding in plain sight their, their mysteries around Christianity and, and the deep teachings. You know, the Cathars subscribed to the idea that Jesus wasn't a saviour, um, he was an exemplar, and that the Christ as a state of consciousness was what was the saviour. And, and, and so they didn't sort of have that same level of adoration for Jesus that the Catholic Church did, which is part of the reason why the Catholic Church weren't particularly fond of them. Yeah. Looking at your book, I know with understanding the tarot, uh, mindfulness, the topic of mindfulness comes up. And for my realm in the 21st century, I have my own understanding of what mindfulness is comparatively. I wanted to ask you, looking at your research, what, what do you think is the difference between the East and the West traditions of the concept of mindfulness and how it's comprehended by both traditions? I mean, ultimately, mindfulness is the capacity to become the observer of what is without giving it a meaning without having any attachment to what you observe. That's the ultimate state of mindfulness. It's my suggestion that the, that the Western approach also included a contemplative component to it. And from a, a, my definition of Western mindfulness is being able to observe what is and then remember that you have a choice to be kind to yourself, to others, End of the planet, and so um, so my so the, the the concept of Western mindfulness, um, I would suggest incorporates contemplation, but it's contemplation around love, um, agape love, yeah. And it's not that the the East doesn't have that stuff, but but they tend to separate out mindfulness from the contemplative a little bit more. Um, so in my experience over the last decade, I've worked with a lot of people who have studied Buddhist tradition and, and, and Eastern approaches to meditation, for example, and they still have trouble getting angry in traffic and, and getting frustrated with what's happening politically and, and all of the other things that are going on and they lose their center in spite of years in many cases of practicing mindfulness. What contemplation does is adds value adds that by saying, hang on a second, I'm presented with somebody who cut me off in traffic. I can uh, witness the facts. And in this moment, I have a choice to be kind to myself and to him. And I sit in the awareness of a choice. The other interesting thing about Western mindfulness is that you don't force yourself to act lovingly. 
you just stop and remember that you have a loving choice. And we say then do follow the path of least resistance. Do what comes easiest. And it may be that you still get angry with the guy, but at least you've stopped and considered that there was a choice. Mindfulness is such an important message for where we are right now as a planet. I think it's probably the most, if there was a word from 2020 that should reemerge in 2021 that follows us, it's mindfulness, I think. Yeah. Let me ask you, in terms of the tarot, let's say there's somebody in my audience who's never looked at the tarot before, and they're listening to this show for the first time. What would you recommend to a passive listener right now that's interested in wanting to know more about this topic? but has never touched the tarot deck at all. What would be your recommendation to that person in terms of understanding the concepts that we're discussing right now to someone who's going through their daily life right now? So th- th- there's two elements to this. And, and, and so for a lot of people, you know, and, and in light of what you were just saying, one of the things that 2020 was, was a values crisis. Literally, what people have experienced has been a crisis of values, and 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 America's been going through a values crisis. You know, everything that you're dealing with politically is about what values do you align with, and so when people find themselves pressed with a values crisis, they want to know, particularly if they haven't been given a set of values, or you know, in our society, one of the things that Christianity gave us were Christian values, but. You know, I don't know about in the United States. I think you guys are probably doing better, but I think Australia has less than nine percent of the population um, have any active involvement in religion. And so, what we have is a we've got this void of sustainable values. And so, when people are put into these really difficult state situations, they don't know where to go. So, one of the things that things like you do, which is you know psychic stuff, and and as I mentioned to you earlier, I I, I, I do neurology and. Um, and people who do tarot readings is people, they can give people guidance um, in terms of, of if they're wanting to know how to move forward when they come to these crossroads, when they're wanting to know how to deal with things. In terms of what I've written about, it's a whole different thing because this is about how do I engage a deep spiritual journey? How do I um, uh, leave the values of the material world, wealth, power, love, and fame, and and um, just we'll throw a bit of tarot in. You know, wealth is is associated with the Pope, funny enough, because the church got involved in um, wealth in a big way. The emperor was about power, the emperor card. The lovers were about um, all the other loves, like Stoge and Eros and Philia, which were the, which were all the other loves that distracted us from Agape, which was divine love. And then you've got the chariot, which is about fame and fortune, you know, and 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 popularity. Then we have these three cards that turn up that if you buy into those things, then these three next cards are going to have an impact on you. Justice, natural justice. You you eat too many of the wrong things and, and you'll pay for it in terms of your, your, your health. You know, natural justice. Time, aging. You can't stop it. No matter how much we try to stop, the process of aging, it's going to have an impact on us. And you're probably old enough and I'm old enough to start to see parents and grandparents who are going through and we're seeing copious amounts of it um, with COVID right now in terms of what's happening with the aged. And then the last one is the wheel of fortune. Good luck, bad luck. Those three things highlight the unsustainability of wealth, power, love and fame. And they bring us to a crisis point now, the problem in our society is we deal with our crisis point with drugs. 
either medicinal or recreational. <laughs> um, and that's an epidemic globally, okay? Or, and, and I don't want to offend any, but all we get caught up in new age shit in the river, you know, um, where, where we, we're, we're trying to sort of solve this in, in, in some sort of superficial way. But what it's asking us is to actually enter into a dark night of the soul. And, and, and that's Hecate or the, the, the strength card. She's holding open the mouth of the lion and she's saying, if you're coming down this route, this is the sort of courage you're going to need. You're going to need to be have the courage of a refined woman who's going to find the strength and the guts to hold open this mouth of the lion so that it doesn't harm her. And that's what you're going to need to go through the dark night of the soul. So these guys understood this deep spiritual journey. And what they were saying is, you've got to go through this dark night in order to find the treasury of light and enlightenment. And so the light cards are star card, moon card, sun card, glory of God card, judgment card. So these are all about light. How I promote the tarot in my book and what you would normally experience at a tarot reader are two very different things. Tarot reading um, gives people advice, and, and don't get me wrong, the, the, you know, people have amazing gifts in being able to help give insight and advice through tarot reading. You know, it, 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 it has a lot of um, credibility in that regard. What I'm talking about is the fact that they, that the Cathar had a very deep understanding of the spiritual journey, and they used these cards to sequence what that journey would look like. I like the fact that we're discussing history and the development of these, looking at the spiritual mm -hmm. roots of it. And, and it fascinates me because from my vantage point, and I know most people have looked at cards and you might put them down, even on apps. You could do it on your iPhone now. You could download an app and hit hit a button on your phone. And next thing you know, you have a card pop up with the interpretation as to what you're going through for your day. In terms of, of understanding the spiritual dynamics of all this, what is your understanding of the hidden key in the cards that people look at for guidance. I, because even I fall prone to this. As I said, I, I read energy. So the cards to me look like pictures to a story that are told. And usually I'll line up with what I pick up before I put the cards down if I read somebody. On occasion, I'll put cards down, just, just close friends. I don't do any of this in my professional aspect of the psychic. But I'll find that they tell a story. So if someone's a sure. beginning psychic and they don't have the confidence within themselves, then this is a great opportunity for them to put down some cards follow the guidance of it, and it'll help them pursue their own gift probably and help accentuate it. Uh, well, you know, yeah, one of the cards that's a really interesting one is the devil card. Mm -hmm. um, and, and most of us focus on the devil and the two characters that are there and the fact that he's got, you know, um, breasts and he's got um, penis and testicles and horns, and but he's holding a flaming sword. And it's like, and, and it's interesting enough, but a lot of the original designers of the cards hid the flames in the wings of the devil. But when you look closely, you can see the flames are at the end of the, well, I don't know. I'm going to ask you, Jason, do you know anything about the, the flaming sword? No. <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the most interesting, and I, and I can't see why we've lost this sense. When Adam and Eve in the biblical story, which is pre-Christian, this is, this is sort of this, this, predates probably even the Jewish faith, you know, in terms of where it comes from. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they've eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They now have this sense of duality that they no longer are one with God. They're separate from God. And God kicks him out of the garden and he says, I'm going to put 
cherubim and the flaming sword at the eastern gate. And you, they're a test for you to be able to get back into the garden so that you can partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good or evil, drink from the holy grail, if I can put it that way. And so here we've been told in this biblical story, these are the two most important things that you need to know about. Well, funnily enough, the Cathar have a flaming sword and a cherubim, in essence, in their cards. And so what we learn when we understand the sequence of the card, the devil's holding the flaming sword because this is a testing point. Now, the flaming sword test is, is the, the um, story of um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Okay, so it's a sword and a flame, which is used for the ritual of sacrifice. And Abraham's told to go and sacrifice Isaac. Well, we don't sacrifice children. But here's something that we have lost as an understanding in our spiritual journey is that, you know, the, the, the Jesuits had a saying, give me a boy. And by the age of seven, we've been programmed with a narrative that becomes the basis of poor self-worth that fuels every choice that we make until the day we die, until we do something with that narrative. What we've got to do is sacrifice the seven-year-old, which is the narrative, in order for us to let go of our attachment to the world of illusion, our narrative. So I have a story. My narrative is in order um, to justify being different, and I've always been different, you know, any, anyone that's doing intermassage yeah. and natural therapies, you know, didn't drink at the age of 15 in Australia and, you know, all that sort of stuff is a bit different. Um, in order to justify being different, um, I work hard at proving um, or, 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 or doing what I do. I excel at what I do. And, and that's whole life is about doing the best that I could. I had a practice in rural Queensland doing the work that I was doing. Now, I lived in a country town of 10,000 people. I had 5,500 clients and I was treating 125 people a week. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I was driven by my story. But out of that, I didn't have time for my family. Um, I didn't look after myself. I actually, I used to be 143 kg, and I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a third of who I am now bigger again, and it was very, very unhealthy and, and extremely overweight. And that's what our narrative does. It pushes us to do things in order to justify our existence. And, and the only way that we can move into the deep spiritual journey is sacrificing our seven-year-old. And so we have to go through a process of being able to transform the narrative of the seven-year-old. And in fact, we have a saying in the work that we do, um, um, it's our, our story is the gift that we gave ourselves to make a difference. Like and it's about finding the way in which we can take the story to make a difference as opposed to, it's not that I didn't make a difference with my story, but I was killing myself. And, um, and that's invariably what we do. So that's just one item in one card. That's deep. Think about it. If you were to analyze all the cards, like you're looking at these cards and analyzing, evaluating all the symbolism involved in it and the message, it's, it's, it's a very, um, much more involved process than people would think when they look at the tower and understanding it and, and realizing why things are the way they are. Why are the pictures on the cards the way they are? And why are they put in the, in, in the, in the way that they are listed? Mm. 
I uh, had the opportunity, as I've said, to go to Italy and I got to go up to um, um, Siena and I got to watch the Il Palio that they have there. And at the beginning of the horse race, out comes this square chariot. And if you have a look at the classic Marseille tarot cards, the chariot card, here's a square chariot. And it's got to do with the Il Palio and what the Il Palio is about. Um, and so, you know, when you start to look at these things and, and see the, the links between the history and why they use these cards to convey the message, it's important that we have the context to really understand what the deeper messages are that are in these cards. I can see that for sure. You mentioned earlier you were talking about the Holy Grail. In your yes. opinion, based on your reference to the Holy Grail, what do you... How do you associate the Holy Grail with, with your work with the, the Tara? Um, so first of all, the Cathars had been um, historically um, said to be custodians of the Holy Grail. Um, and um, there's a really um, um, quite a significant legend, and, and a lot of it's true, where um, as the, the um, Crusades were sort of winding down a whole lot of the perfecti, the priests, um, there were 200 of them or thereabouts, plus their believers um, and, and some supporters were in a mountain um, um, castle called Montsegur. And, um, um, and as it turns out, uh, eventually after they couldn't stay any longer, they sort of gave up and 200 of these perfecti uh, walked into a pyre and were burnt voluntarily. They didn't resist. They allowed themselves to be burnt at the stake, 200 of them at the bottom of this mountain. But the night before that happened, four of them escaped with their treasure. And some said that it was the Holy Grail. And, um, and it's, it's, I, it, it's, it's my claim that the Holy Grail is knowledge. It's, it's, um, and, and, it's, and, and if you think about the shape of the Grail, in terms of a chalice, it's this cup with this long stem. And this is the Herius Gamos. It's the sacred union of Christ consciousness, which is the masculine in the stem and the womb of, of, of the sacred yoni, the sacred vagina in the womb. And, and with that union, Christ consciousness is able to re-enter the sacred yoni back to the Father or the kingdom of heaven. But, but they drink of the womb as part of that, that um, eternal life, because that's what it was said to do. If you drank of, of the Holy Grail, you, you, know, you would have eternal life. And, and so this is part of the symbology. And of course, what we have in, in the, um, the world card is this um, Vesicus Pisces, this almond shape um, around the central figure. And that's the sacred Yoni. You know, um, I, I was lucky to go to um, Chittavecchia in uh, north of Rome when I was living in Italy, and which is the Etruscan necropoly. So they're dead cities. And they would build homes and replicate life for their, their dead. You'd walk along streets and here's all these buildings. You walk down and you'd go into these rooms and they would have beds and chairs carved out of this tuft, which is a sort of a soft stone, and walls and, and roof and windows that were all carved to make it look like it was real. Not in every one of them, but in several of them, in the back, there were either carved um, mandalas or almond shapes, and they would be a passage that could be six to ten foot long, and you'd walk through this narrow passage into a rear chamber. This is 
in my estimation, understanding. This is a sacred yoni. This is this is the 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 the, the divine sacred mother's vagina, if I can call it that. That you have to qualify as the Christ because the only thing that can go in there is is the Christ, um, and 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 to re-enter back into the, the divine mother where we find the, the the tree of life and we get to find the treasury of light and and the kingdom of heaven and God and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. What um was it most in in terms of your work and this project and you know understanding the spiritual roots of the tarot, what did you find was the most important lesson you learned personally? piecing the stuff together and understanding it that you probably didn't even expect to discover about the tarot or about yourself. Um, that's a really good question. And um, the one of the interesting cards, and, and this is probably my most recent epiphany, one of the interesting cards is the moon card. And um, the moon card has a pond in the foreground with a crustacean in it. It's a lobster or a crab. And then there's two dogs. And then up on the hill is um, um, a city or there's, there's a couple of castles up there. And then there's the moon card. And in the course of studying this, um, um, when I was studying the, the um, astrological um, um, constellation of cancer, it's really interesting, but right in the centre of that is a set of stars that are called the manger. This is the birth of Christ card. This is the point at which the Christ is born. And, and it comes off the back of mercy and, and, um, and she's pouring two vessels of water, um, um, which is the star card. And and these are the these are the works of mercy, which is social justice, helping the needy, looking after the planet, and doing all of that stuff. And then the other one is about forgiveness, um, and and it's basically saying that you'll turn up in the world, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those. You know, this is a high state of consciousness where we can develop those things ourselves. You know, that's something that we have to discipline ourselves to adopt social justice and mercy at that level. But now at that point, we're at a point of purity where um, we can pass the gatekeepers, which are the dogs, and, and they're smelling the uh, odour of sanctity. So in other words, you have to smell right to pass them. And the things that won't have you smell right are the things that we're dealing with in terms of unsustainable values, which is greed, um, pride, wrath, <laughs> envy, lust, gluttony, sloth, all of the... the, the <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. And, and basically, if you, if you smell off, <laughs> they won't let you pass the gate. But once you go through the gate, and this is the thing, and this is and this is the thing you've asked me this question. And what is it? It's about letting my light shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. And that isn't about 
getting out there and being a preacher. I mean, I've got an opportunity to, to have a platform today. It's not about forcing, it's about walking the talk. It's about turning up in my life, in the traffic, in the shopping center, in my relationship. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to be in relationship with somebody now for some years who um, is aligned with these principles. And, and um, we just have the most glorious relationship because neither of us primarily now are driven by our seven-year-old narrative anymore. We've both committed to love-centered lives, which our narrative stops us from doing because the narrative is about not being lovable or feeling loveless. And that can't coexist with a commitment to love. And so it's now that understanding that that's what the rest of my life is. In 2011, I walked the Camino de Santiago, the pilgrims walk across northern Spain. And, um, and it was a spiritual pilgrimage. I spent 40 days. Um, it was my 40 days in the wilderness. And at the end of that, um, I spent four days in Finisterre on the coast. And I knew I wanted to go through a ritual and, and the reason I was doing that walk was to decide whether I was prepared to commit the rest of my life to teaching love, if that was something that was going to happen. And, and on the very last morning at four o'clock in the morning, I sat bolt right, right in bed and I had this download and it was basically an anointing ritual. And, and to this day, every day I go over that anointing ritual. And it was about adopting peace as my priority in terms of my mind, social justice in terms of the passion of my body, my heart being oriented towards mercy and my spirit being centered in charity, the pure love of Christ. And, and, and that became the beginning of me devoting my life now to this work. It's having passed through that portal and 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 moving towards that so getting that sense of of adopting christ consciousness in a very real way um now i'm a long way from having that become sort of a, a consistent i'm still have my moments where i you know struggle to sustain that but i'm um, a heck of a lot further along the path than what i was um some years ago well and one and one point to raise that resonated with what you just said we're all on our own journey for our own spiritual journey, no matter what level that journey you, you might be in. You could be on an advanced level for yourself, or you could be on the first steps of your journey, depending on should you intend or where you're going to go with it. Uh, interestingly, from your work that you've done, do you have recommendations from your personal observations about any way that the tarot could be improved from where it has been? based on your, your knowledge of mindfulness and the cathars and all that, is there anything about the tarot that you found was a weakness within them that you think could be improved in terms of people understanding their message and reading, you know, reading their, their symbolism? No, I, I, I think what you just said there is the, the important thing. What could improve is, is people spending time contemplating. You know, I have a meditation space um, at the back of me here, and it's, a, it's an old roller desk, you know, with the roller thing that comes down. And I have the 22 picture cards laid out in that. And I go through those every single morning and I sit with those cards and I contemplate them. Even now, after having written that book, um, I'm still spending time. And so the only way that the cards can be improved is each individual taking the time to become intimately familiar with their language. 
to hear the symbology. You know what that's about when you get those downloads, when you get that divine inspiration or whatever you want to call that. And, and for me, the cards are the cards. It's about what you bring to it and whether or not you're prepared to take the time to sit and really listen to them or listen to the inspiration and the guidance that helps to give you that deeper understanding and appreciation. So uh, to be honest, that would be my answer to your question. Well, and you know what? I look at this, the values, the values that are taught Mm -hmm. through the use of the cards that are inherent within Mm -hmm. them. That's something, like you said, the stained glass windows. I've been in many churches. Have I thought about historically when you go to Europe and you go into a church that's from the 1400s and you see this beautiful artwork on these beautiful stained glass windows? I just look at the art. I take taken up. I'm not thinking about messages being conveyed to me as a illiterate person back then. That the images, while you're sitting in the in the majesty of a, a court service, I'm sorry, court service um, of, a, of a church service. We talk about a lawyer for a minute. Uh, yeah. You're sitting there in mass, and you're taking this all in, and you're hearing all this spirituality from your faith, and then you see these windows, and these cards are mini versions of those kind of windows for messages and understanding values. Is that absolutely? Yeah, Yeah, look, my partner. Yeah, my my partner. She uh, uh, um, had left a very strict church. In fact, Um, it it was a cultish, almost Christian church, and she didn't want to have anything to do with churches. And we had an opportunity to travel on a couple of occasions to Europe, and I and she said, "I just don't want to go. I don't want to go in the churches." And I said, "Come with me, and I will make it an experience that you've (laughs) never had before in a church." And of course, I was able to walk through and just bring the whole thing to life in terms of what the images were and what they were talking about. And that's what they were meant to be. The the churches were the education of people. That's how they were educated was by seeing these images. And we've lost the language of that. And and ultimately, that's what what the cards are. Look, I'm going to just sort of throw in, if anyone, what I've done is taken that knowledge and I've created a a personal mentoring program where we work with people one-on-one to take them through this journey, certainly up to the, the, the flaming sword, and it's called the Enhancers Awareness Program. And if anyone's interested, um, go to eapmentor.com and, and have a look. I was going to ask you, I didn't get a chance to ask you this yet, but can you share that website again? And if anyone wants to contact you, I, I didn't get a chance to do that yet because we're still in the yeah. midst of this, but t- share that with our audience now because I want to make sure you, you do Yeah, that. yeah. So, so the Enhancers Awareness Program is where I've taken all of this language and I've distilled all the tarot language out of it. I've distilled all of the Christian language out of it, and I've linked it into modern vernacular around neural pathway development and neuroscience. And we've created this really lovely personal journey where we work with people one-on-one. And it's called the Enhancers Awareness Program. The website is www.eapmentor.com. And um, and if anyone wants to get in touch with me personally, um, please don't hesitate to email me, Russell Sturgis, double L. Sturgis, S-T-U-R-G-S-S, at me, M-E dot com. And I'd be welcome to receive any um, um, contact from people if they would like to. Excellent. One other question. I see another website listed in, in the program notes or the information, which is www.westernmindfulness.com. I'm sorry, dot A-U after that. Can you explain what that website is yes. and how that differs from the one you just gave with EA? Yeah, so that's my own personal website. And so one of the things that I do, um, obviously, I develop the Enhancers Awareness Program. And um, so we also teach people how to mentor this work so they can become mentors. So I'm involved in that. I also do one-on-one spiritual 
guidance work. I call it Agape, a dialogue with Russell Sturgis. Um, and that's about to be just introduced onto my website in the next couple of weeks. So um, if anyone's going to look, go back in the next couple of weeks and you'll see sort of the introduction of this. And that's where we just spend um, um, a couple of hours every fortnight with somebody going through a dialogue on this journey through the dark night of the soul and what that's about and 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 and, and have that. Talks about, uh, I have blogs on there that I've written about um, um, my insights into the cards and and um, um, one of the things that we haven't talked about was that the the Cathar were champions of the Sermon on the Mount. They felt that that was probably the only real core scripture that was real um, in there and the Beatitudes in particular. And what my book does do is ties the last um, several cards of the you know sort of cards basically twelve onwards to the Beatitudes. Um, and um, the Beatitudes are essentially um, the Christian eightfold path to enlightenment. It's a series of eight statements, just like Buddha had his eightfold path to enlightenment. These are this is the Christian equivalent to it, and it's a series of eight statements. And the Cathars, eight of their cards depict those Beatitudes, um, which are really quite um, significant in terms of understanding um, the spiritual journey. Mm. What do you have, what do you have coming up next uh, for yourself? Is there any other books you're going to come out with? I just want to let you know if you do come out with further work in the future, let me know. I'm happy to always have you on uh, as a returning or as an open platform for my audience. Look, I've got I've got a whole lot of ideas that are uh, <laughs> are running around in my head at the moment in terms of, of where I'm going with that. But right at the moment, I'm just taking a break. Um, writing's a, a, an interesting exercise. I'm I. I I rise most mornings at four o'clock and start writing until seven or eight. I do four hours of solid writing when I do it. And, and so I'm just taking a break for the moment. It'll be um, along these lines. I've just been writing um, a blog um, about um, COVID-19 and, and what's really happened is that the world got to experience what the aged deal with every day of their life. And potential mortality. Absolutely. But shut down from freedom and cut off from people. Um, All of the things that we got to experience through this, they deal with every day. Every day. And it's got nothing to do with the disease other than getting old. And and I believe that um, as much as we have a necessity to be a champion for honoring the feminine, and I absolutely support that, looking after the planet we also have an obligation to look after our elderly. And, and, um, and I wrote a, a blog about the rite of passage into leaving your home and going into an aged person's home or into an aged care home. We've got to start. This is the time for these people to really explore their deep spirituality because they're letting go of their attachment to the material world. And 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 um, and so part of where I I have a feeling I'd like to go is in creating um, more understanding about that transition and and creating more opportunity for us to honour our elderly and to support them in a really loving and spiritual way as they're making this journey. You know that's a very valid point. Uh, Eastern cultures value their elderly and mm. put them on pedestals and let them live in the family and they don't put them in homes. And I know Western civilization has tend to put them the way we, you know, the way that they've been neglected and and not 
respected appropriately. And I, I, I agree with you. We need a paradigm shift. And if this pandemic's taught us anything from the last year and a half, or I should say last year or so, it's that we need to value every single person's life, no matter at what stage of life you're in. And I like the way you say that about the spirituality aspect of it, because those who are in their upper years are the ones that are going to be understanding spirituality shorter in time, usually if we go based on chronology, than someone who's in their 20s. But once again, that could be, and that's another lesson this pandemic's taught us. It could happen at any time. The reality is normally, like I had cancer two years ago. I overcame stage one kidney cancer and it was a a jolt to me. I overcame it, but it prepared me more for this because even though I had cancer for a short period of time of two months before my surgery, I didn't have something that if I got it on a Monday, within two weeks, I could be dead at any time during the entire pandemic. Not only just me, but any family members, friends, significant others, coworkers, people down the street, whoever. That's the fear that you were talking about that I I embraced during this pandemic to show us about our own mortality. And I think if more of us started to look at this as a collective thing together, like in America, we need to have collective responsibility. Everybody needs to wear a mask. Everybody should social distance, wash your hands, pay attention to your symptoms and stay home. Like basic skills, basic respect. That'll make all the difference. And I feel like some of that comes from our understanding of the spiritual roots of the tarot based on our conversation today. (laughs) <laughs> and I would I that all together, but in my own okay. perspective, I like our conversation so much today. It's a great way to take a topic like the tarot and demystify it, decode it <laughs> so that our audience can look at what the underlying purpose of the start of this was and understanding that you had a, you had a, a, a strain between Gnostic Christianity and traditional Catholic Christianity and that there was more at play than just a couple of pictures on a couple of cards that you like to throw down if you're having a fight with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you want to gain some <laughs> increased understanding. There's more to this and our audience needs to understand that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to conclude by asking, I ask my guests this from time to time and you'll probably understand this question quicker than anybody else. Uh, not, you know, easier. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? Oh. If you want, I could go first because I. Yeah, you go first. Give me a moment to think and yeah. um, on that. Sure. I, I always pick owl. I, I hate to say it that way. It's just because I do this show regularly. I'll say owl. My audience knows it because I have two parrots. I associate with birds. Birds are owls deal with wisdom. And they look at things from 360 from above. And that's, that's you know, that's, I, I, I thirst for wisdom in my own quest mm. in life. So that's why I think I, I like the owl so much. Mm. Um, I think um, um, in, in Australia, we call it a, a dingo. And it's probably similar to the coyote in, in some respects. But, but uh, I think it's about um, the trickster, um, you know, what's what's real and what isn't it's about the illusion versus the reality it's about holding that space and of course being the trickster you have the knowledge of what is the trick and what is the reality and um um, and there's so many other elements as you would appreciate that that sort of um extends beyond that but but um for me um it it I used to be in Boy Scouts um, as a leader. I was a Boy Scout as well. And, and my leader's name was Dingo. I chose it myself. And, um, and it's something that I've, I've sort of, it's one of those things that I've had a resonance with. It fits into um, Hermes, um, which you'll get to read about in my book, um, which plays a really important role in, in the world of illusion. 
um, in, in terms of providing opportunity for people to um, grow. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I know um, you're how many hours ahead of us right now? Just for our audience, it's 8.55 a.m. in Tampa. It's five minutes five minutes to midnight here. God bless you for coming on the show today. And have, I know the disparity in time. When I went to Australia, it's like 20 hours difference on occasion. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and, and your wisdom about the spiritual roots of the tarot. And uh, uh, I just want to thank you so much for dedicating my pleasure, your, Jason. Your, your talents to producing this work for us. And um, mm. I deeply appreciate it. Good on you. Thanks, Jason. I've thank really you. had a lovely time. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. I really enjoyed interviewing Mr. Sparrow regarding the spiritual roots of the tarot, the Cathar Code hidden in the cards. During our trying times, a lot of us are searching for meaning and purpose when we struggle with the uncertainty of, of our current time of our 2021 and just what we've been through last year. And I think it's important when you look at things and try to determine meaning of your life, that you look at the spiritual roots of things and, and their significance, because I think there's a very powerful element to looking at the world beyond just our own current perspective. There's a lot more deepness that we can get in touch with. And, and love itself is such a universal thing for each of us to understand and appreciate. I, I highly recommend this book. I encourage you to check out Russell Sturgis's website, westernmindfulness.com.au and the Enhancers Awareness Program, www.eapmentor.com. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If anyone wants to reach out, you can always email me at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. Until next time, tune in. Stay calm and focused and look forward Thank to a Thank you for future. listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. Embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win, earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid